So because I was the human I am and mid story of St. Olga of Kiev, she became a saint and I had to cut that. So it wouldn't be such a long story. We're doing saints today. Make a preemptive guess of whose story I'm doing. But this is a heady Lamar situation. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say it's our first two, it's our second two part lady. Truly, in my note, I was like, this is my turn for a two part lady, but that'll come. So, this is kind of like a religious belief type of episode. And like, I don't want to start just doing a shit show of a like comment section of people saying we're wrong, we're not wrong, of like, because belief systems can get hairy. But I just want to read out the first line of the wikipedia of what a saint is because i honestly had to google this because i knew that there were different saints in different religions um but i wanted to make sure that was like correct knowledge because in the back of my head i also thought saint was like the english word for what the definition was and since we're all native english speakers with me being the half learning spanish at the same time saint in spanish is santo very similar we're at the Wikipedia. Great source. I actually do like Wikipedia and I can go on a tangent of why I love Wikipedia. But we all do. We're all Wikipedia stands. Yeah. Wikipedia is secretly based. Yeah. It's socialist. So like do a whole scroll down. If you're on the Wikipedia site like we are, do a whole scroll down to their citations and references and external links and like be your own judge. But for the first sentence is In a religious belief, a saint is a person who is recognized as having an exceptional degree of holiness, likeness, or closeness to God. However, the use of the term, quote, saint depends on the context and denomination. And I could go on, but it goes in Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican, Lutheran, doctrine. And then if you go in like the table of contents, there's- Is it just Christians? All religions. Well, yeah, so other religions. So if you go to like the table of contents that says African diaspora, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, Sikhism. And then other religions. It's being used as a general term that yeah, so in that some other religions my... you don't. So like in Buddhism, if you reach Nirvana, you are kind of the equivalent of what a saint would be. Yes. In so English, but they don't, that's not the word. On the use. Wikipedia page, I'll read it out because it's like just two sentences. Buddhists in both Theravada and Mahayana, excuse me if I'm pronouncing those incorrectly, traditions hold the arthas in a special esteem as well as a highly developed bodhisattvas and Tibetan Buddhists hold tukas, parentheses, a reincarnation or reincarnates of deceased eminent practitioners and parentheses as living saints on earth. Like, I also knew for Islam, there were such a thing as, like, saints, but they're called Wali, W-A-L-I, and I believe, because that's Arabic, and a lot of, correct me if I'm wrong, that just means, like, friend of God, and that's kind of, like, what a saint is, right? Like, I genuinely was, like, don't my remember. Def- like, that was always in my head of what a definition of, like, a saint was, like, friend of God, someone, like, like the Wikipedia says, very close to God. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. We all took 
religious studies classes in undergrad. Uh, so Lexi, what was your favorite religious studies class? I want to say anything taught by Dr. Christopher Rolston, like all of them. And this topic makes me uncomfortable, so I'm asking the same question to Haley. Haley, what was your favorite religious studies class in undergrad? Dutch Girls was definitely my favorite. And I'm Alana, and my favorite religious studies class was Religion, Magic, and Witchcraft, which I actually took in high school. Okay, so Haitian voodoo is something that is so fascinating to me because a lot of it came from old West African religions who when, Af when West African people were captured and enslaved in the New World in places like Haiti, they were not accosted, but kind of accosted with their enslavers religion. And the enslavers were like, look at all these they saints were that pretty we much have. They were accosted. Although, yeah. yeah they and were so the enslavers were like, we have all of these saints. And the enslaved uh, West Africans were like, that sounds a lot like polytheism, but go off, I guess. Yeah. And so they just like, yeah. And so they just, this is something that I actually learned in my, we talked about in my religion, magic and witchcraft class. One of the best classes I've ever taken. The professor and I are friends on Facebook because I actually took that class in high school at the local community college. But so they were like, sounds like polytheism to me, but go off. And so they just like adapted their Yoruban West African deities to match with the saints. And so they were like, no, we're Christian. We're good Catholics. We just like, we really like this saint. We really like this saint. That's what we're doing. So I just think it's like Asian voodoo is so interesting. It's like a Creole of religion when you think about it's, it. It's like a, the way it's, that language gets yeah so creole creole languages are like specifically a language that melds two languages yeah but so it's like a creole language but if a creole language was religion Alpathis was saying, we kind of already talked about this on this show many times, really old timey information adapted by people in different religions at different times, heard it through the grapevine situation. Obviously everything I say might contest with different versions of the story. Like someone else might have a different take on it. There might be scholars who think some one thing and scholars who think another thing. I just kind of did my best to do a general overview of most of what seemed possibly accurate, but uh, Old time, old timey be hard. In May 1802, the remains of a young girl were discovered at the catacombs of Priscilla on the Via Salaria Nova, which is, uh, it's a catacomb system underneath the city of Rome, Italy. Great place to have catacombs. The inscription where she was laid to rest said, Pax Tecum Filumena. I didn't learn Latin. I'm a bad archaeologist. So that could be a little off. But did I, how did I do, Haley? <laughs> Enough. You did um, good enough. You did good, good enough. enough. I, like, I'm the only archaeologist in the program we were in who studied a language that didn't exist at the time period of the archaeology we were doing. Well, the written language. That still cracks exist. me up. I don't know why our professor signed off on it. It was invented in the 1400s, the, the written language. Hilarious. So anyway. Look, there are still archaeology. It's archaeology. 1400s archaeology. You could do archaeology of shit from yesterday. It means peace be on to you. Philomena, if you translate it into 
English. And on the tiles near her tomb, there were symbols. There were two anchors, three arrows, and a palm symbol. And the palm is the symbol of martyrdom. So the information gathered by these pseudo-archaeologists, because it was 1802, so who knows, people excavating, was this woman is some sort of martyr, this young woman, and however she became a martyr relates to two anchors and three arrows. And around this time, Sister Maria Luisa de Gesu, a nun who lived in Naples, told her other sisters that she had a vision of a young woman named Philomena. So it was like this crazy coincidence. And she said that Philomena told her she was born on January 10th in the year 291, and that she had told Sister Maria that she was Greek royalty, like a princess. And she was from a royal family who had converted to Christianity in a time when that was not chill in Europe, when, when there was conflict about that. So she also told Sister Maria that she'd taken a vow to remain celibate and devote her life to her religion at the age of 13. She decided, I wanna be basically a nun, I wanna study religion and I, I don't wanna get married. It is believed that the same year, her father actually took his family to Rome to meet with the Roman emperor, um, Emperor Diocletian. And they wanted to like establish a peace with him because he was starting war. But the emperor got the hots for Philomena. Ew, because he was definitely like her father's age. So ew. And she, of course, having already decided that she was never going to marry and she was going to devote her life to her faith and like her body, her choice, she refused. She was like, I'm not getting married. Like, it, it's, it's not you, it's me, but like, actually it is you, you're gross, but like, you know, this is my vibe. And he was pretty mad about that, as selfish men can sometimes be. Because yeah, you know, emperors, they usually get what they want, right? Like they don't, they don't normally have 13 year old girls be like, fuck you. And well, not fuck you. I do, they don't have 13 girls be like, I don't want to fuck you, but fuck you. You know, my grandma's going to have a heyday when she hears that one. Anyway, I'll be less vulgar. Um, hi, grandma. <laughs> hi. His staff took her prisoner and tortured her. She was tied to an anchor and thrown in the water, but she just would not drown. They were like, what? Like die and she was like no no i'm good and then they tied her up to a post and they shot her with some arrows and she was like oh you know pull out the arrow like i'm fine i'm chill and like this this bitch is crazy you know and each torture that she faced she just survived survived miraculously like like you know by some force of god and so these instances they were viewed by miracles by her family and her people and the Christians in her community. And the emperor, embarrassed that his men could not figure out how to get rid of a 13-year-old girl, ordered to have her beheaded, because like, how do you, how do you survive that, you know? So Sister Maria's account of the story claims that Philomena died at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, which is believed to be the time of the week Jesus died. Not much else is known about her because, you know, ancient times do be fishy. She was canonized in 1837 and relics of her are enshrined at the Church of Our Lady of Grace in Monano, Italy. And depictions of Filomino usually include a flower crown to represent her youth and arrows and an anchor, which represent her survival through torture she faced. And this is because those symbols were on her grave before she was canonized. And now St. Filomena is the patron saint of youth, babies, and infants. So if you wanna, you know, think about her as how she relates into the bigger picture of the canon, she protects children. And her feast is celebrated on 
August 11th, which is believed to be the day she died. I love that story because I knew that person, but you told it so well. Thank you. Surprise, surprise, it's my turn to do a part two. And if you haven't already guessed it, it's St. Olga of Kiev and the story about how she became a saint. So if you didn't guess that, it's okay. Quick recap. We're in the Byzantine Empire, descendants from Vikings, married to Igor, but he was murdered, started to rule when her son was a child. She took revenge. It was very gruesome. Like many, many thousands of people died. And now Olga is handing over the ruling power to her son that's like older of age, if you will. This probably means he was a teenager, young man, if you will. Kiev is now a strong city-state with new forts. So I guess like more territory added, more infrastructure added. And she made what we think slash know is the first legal reform in Europe because she changed the system of tribute gathering, a la let's not have what happened with the Derovians per last episode. And the timeline, like wise, we're still like in the 950s common era. And Olga is on her way to Constantinople. Side note, footnote, capital city of Roman Empire and the Byzantine Empire, but now is Istanbul after the Ottoman Empire. And Constantinople Istanbul was, was once Constantinople. Yeah. Istanbul. That's, they might yeah, be giants, yeah. right? Yeah. It was a prominent city and a lot of different cultures, powers, empires, blah, that blah, That song's blah. the best song on Just Dance. Just yes, sure. absolutely. 100%. And Rasputin. I'll argue Rasputin is also a good one. Check out so. our reel and TikTok about the real <laughs> history behind that song. Maybe I should do one for Istanbul. Yes, please do. When Istanbul, when that song becomes like, popular audio yeah yeah it's gotta. we could make it it's popular gotta. audio why don't we do that okay. we should be doing no that. because that it has to catch on first because like the and whole, then the and whole then series i tried to start it. was explaining the real history behind viral songs and so far yeah. ross Putin's the only one that has an interesting real history so okay I'll get behind oh that. you didn't want to do the one that was about the troubles <laughs> yeah no i <laughs> don't want to touch that with temple pole Anywho, in Constantinople, she was baptized by the patriarch, who is the highest person in the Eastern Church of Christianity, for this purpose. Hang on. You said last week, she said, you said, you said that she became a Christian by accident. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I, but, hell, hurry up. I'm so curious. I need to know. Hold the Zoom phone there. And her new name was Helga or Helena. I've seen, like, both and the few sources that kind of we have so you might see that as like her new name representing her especially on like the monuments and stuff because she has a lot of statues there's like a whole wikipedia page or it's part of her wikipedia page of like where commemorations are another side note the roman emperor constantine the seventh was pronounced as godfather so history collection also in the show notes and I, what I used last week, called it an accident. And I get the sense that they are the only ones bold enough until now, because I'm going to claim that this was also somewhat of an accident in the scope that like she wasn't all for it. And here's why I'm going to jump on this bandwagon. 
One, getting baptized was a huge risk because Christianity at the time was not that popular in Kiev. And Kiev is just growing. Like you want to keep being on the popularity trend. And that was not Christianity at the time. So why disrupt the flow when you don't seem so jazzed about the religion? And in that case, we have number two. And I say that because she refused to fully convert. She didn't oppose a new religion as like a religion and people. She was like, nah, it's fine. Like, it's just not my cup of tea. And then the third, the Chronicle, which is what the history collection used. And I looked at it and it's like more of like a primary source, a academic document, academic document, at least if I'm pulling from memory, says that it could have been a way to avoid marriage, which is on brand for her because last episode, and it was marriage to Constantine, who was also like weirdly married, but also was like then her godfather. So I think this was all just like very weird. And I get the sus suspicion. I can see like this on accident if it's not on accident of just like, I I need to save my skin for this. Let me like go with the flow, get out of Constantinople without like a war. And flash forward to her grandson, Vladimir the Great in 988 CE. He was the one who made Christianity the official religion of Kiev. So we went from 33 years later. Hence why there's a huge Christian community in Russia today. It's Orthodox Christianity, Russian Orthodox. And it was noted that her son, so Vladimir the Great's father, also rejected the efforts of bringing Christianity to Russia. So again, sus as why was she like baptized? Something seems fishy up there. But hold on, she's not quite a saint. And I didn't realize that the sainthood came at the end of like this juicy story, but we're now in 1547. So years and years after Vladimir the Great made it the official religion. And she's now a saint through the Orthodox Church and they named her equal to the apostles. So she's now like one of five women ever to get this honor in this way. And the last part of like juicy, credible information was that she was named patron saint of widowers and converts, which I find very fitting to her whole being. So I guess now, and like in my notes, like when reading it, it wasn't like an accidental coming of Christian, but like a suspicious, like it never, like no one ever wrote it down as she was actively looking to convert. So I have never had imposter syndrome like I had doing this uh, because I am not a Christian. Not sure if you knew this about me, listeners, but I am Jewish. I think they know. Uh, Really? Are you sure? I don't know if I've mentioned it. Sure. Okay. This is actually the second saint that I've talked about. As I mentioned in the intro, Joan of Arc was a saint. And I talked about her and I want to say episode 20, the one where we talked about women disguised as, as men. So this is actually my second saint. So Hildegard of Bingen was born at some point in 1098 uh, CE to wealthy nobles of what is now Germany. Uh, And by some accounts, she was the youngest of as many as 10 children, but at least seven. 
And the whole vibe was that she was like this sickly child. So her parents did that whole promise her to God if she lives thing. Uh, and she did live. So at the age of eight, she left home for the Benedictine Abbey of Disibodenburg, where she learned and lived under the head kind of nun. It's unclear as to whether or not they're actually like nuns by this standard, but air quotes nun. And her name was Jutta, J-U-T-T-A. Uh, and Jutta was Hildegard's mentor figure, and Hildegard was actually chosen by the other air quotes nuns at this abbey to replace Jutta when she died in 1136. And as like the phrase that I found was magistra, like that was Jutta's position. And then so then Hildegard was chosen by the other air quotes nuns to replace her. And so then as magistra uh, of this abbey, she founded two other monasteries in the area. Also, just like as a woman, as a person, she invented her own language. Uh, she wrote books on medicine of the time. Lexi's looking at me confused. I'm not sure how she invented her own language. I don't know, like what J.R.R. Tolkien shit or something. J.R.R. Tolkien shit. I, like I couldn't find any more information about this language, but even, but go off queen, queen shit. But she also wrote books on the medicine of the time and books of poetry about the religious visions she was having. Yeah, she was having religious visions. And she also composed music. Uh, and there's a professor at the University of Rochester named Honey Messoni, or potentially Maconi, but Honey is her first name. Uh, and she has started the Hildegard Project, which is basically just this professor playing through Hildegard's compositions. I thought that was interesting also because my mom went to University of Rochester. Hi, mom. Hildy unfortunately died on September 17th, 1179, and was made a saint in 2010. Pope John Paul II described Hildegard as a, quote, light for her people and her time. Pope Benedict XVI, who I think was the one right before Francis, declared her a doctor of the universal church, which, and I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means uh, in 2012. Hildy's feast is celebrated on September 17th, and she is considered the patron saint of musicians and writers. That's a dope thing to be the patron saint of. Yeah, definitely. I also think Hildegard is a really cool name. You can find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode and our merch will be on ladyhistorypod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or follow us on Patreon. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Instagram at girlbum.productions. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, we're doing some director cuts, if you will, and we even have a guest interviewee.